0: listeners, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Daily World Cup podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we've another exciting episode for you all today. And what is our third of the series? In today's episode, we will discuss the interesting opening day fixture between host Qatar and Gustavo Alfaro's Ecuador, who many tipped to be dark horses this year with a stacked squad full of top talents from throughout Europe, including Moises Caicedo from Brighton Hove Albion. Also on the show, we will be going in-depth on England's game against Iran, which was forced up today looking at how Gareth Southgate's side broke down the rigid low rock of Iran with ease in a eight-goal thriller. So without further ado, let's dive right into our World Cup analysis. I'm joined today by Lee Scott and Brian Marquez to review the Qatar and Ecuador game and England versus Iran. Lee, hello, welcome back to the podcast. Has your appetite been whetted by the past two games, or to quote John Coleman, are you rapidly falling out in
1: love with football? <laughs> I don't think I'll ever fall out in love with football. I think that obviously there have been, it's been interesting, um, not so much on the field but off the field for the start of this tournament. Um, I don't really want to go into it because I could probably get myself in trouble speaking too much about my own feelings about what's going on at the moment. Um, I'd rather just concentrate on the football. And I think that in terms of the football, it sometimes takes a couple of games before you're really caught up in it, especially if you work in football, because there's not really a break. It's not... Fandom, for me, has changed dramatically in the last five or six years. That My work-life balance, if you like, has changed. Fandom's changed for me. Mm-hmm. But certainly, I watched the World Cup and two of my lads were watching the game with me yesterday as well. Um, does kind of start getting you back in the mood, I guess.
0: In, in terms of that, you said you were watching which which are your son there yesterday how does i mean how, how is he enjoying the games first of all and did he obviously i mean i with the fullest respect that the two teams i played I, I i found it very hard to get into and i lost quite a lot of interest as especially during you're on the second half you know when you watch games of football obviously you're watching from more of an analytical perspective whereas he's watching just from a purely love of the game and a, and a fan i'm not saying you don't watch it because you love the game obviously but your the way you think about the game is a bit different do you, do you find that he loses interest very quickly
1: not my oldest one my my oldest one's 12 and he is um quite bright he's very very focused and football orientated and um when you ask him what he wants to do for a living he wants to do what i do so he kind of watches games in a very similar way that i do but my my middle one um, just a year younger than him, he watches the World Cup because he loves international football, and and he got right into it yesterday. Yeah, uh, he enjoyed it. He enjoyed the whole spectacle. Um, he was quite irate by by some of the referee decisions. Let's just say, and and there was a little bit of, in his own words, he started to wonder if the game was entirely fair at points. But again, I'm not going to talk about any of that. Um, the
0: corruption, corruption, trended on Twitter. I think within ten minutes of the the decision yeah. happening, which was absolutely incredible, and I just. I couldn't believe that within five minutes of the World Cup and all the issues that surround a, a VAR call like that happened. It, it it just seemed actually too good to be true. It was genuinely yeah. unbelievable.
1: I don't know. I still, the new way they show the VAR graphics as well, where they're literally only showing two players within the graphic and you're not seeing the full picture. Yeah. It made it, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was very, very difficult to call. As soon as the goalkeeper rushes out like that, the people need to understand the the offside rule changes slightly because the the
0: goalkeeper. The goalkeeper's not... the last man, yeah, of course. And th- this is th- this was my issue when I watched it because my issue isn't that. Okay, the decision might have been correct. For one, the angles they used were awful. I mean, it really was. I think I I watched on the BBC and one of the angles was like seventy yards in the air, like looking down on from a board's eye view, and you really couldn't see anything. And then, as well as you said, the new technology they're using as well it 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 it, it didn't show the full picture show the goalkeeper then too so we can all see show the contact of the ball if it it does touch the the defender but again i I suppose i'm not here to to comment too much on on, um referee decisions whether it was right or wrong (laughs) i just wanted to i just wanted a better angle of it so then i could go okay well then that's correct bryant you wrote a piece for TFA this morning, which was published. I edited it and it was absolutely fantastic on the game. You actually made the game seem a lot more tactically interesting than it, it, it probably was. Talk to us then about about the two teams and the way they, they looked to set up during the game.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a bit interesting, you know, it wasn't that joy of match <laughs> to see but it was uh, really good for me because i really saw ecuador did what they did in the qualifiers this uh midfielder movement inside the back four to join the defenses uh, it was a a normal sight to see under gustavo alfaro in the in their recent matches and in their last matches of the World Cup qualifiers against Argentina, Brazil, uh, Colombia, lots of teams that they played against and they used this tactic. I really like the way they started the game, very direct, very explosive. I mean, Ecuador has to be explosive with the joy of a full they have. They have Perpiz Estupinan and Angelo Preciado that they're like wingers, you know, for for them. And um, You can clearly saw it in the cross that Preciado uh, executed for Valencia in the second goal. I really like that way to go and, and and search the game within the first minute. Uh, at the second minute of the match, I think it was the, the the free kick and the controversial goal and all that. I I agree with you. The angle was terrible and and even the 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 angle and the image of the offside and all that it came 10 minutes after the (laughs) decision so it was shocking for me but i think the people inside the stadium didn't get to see it
0: either which was was all the journalists were tweeting out saying that nobody inside the stadium can actually see it which was
2: again exactly It, it, it was really bizarre but i like those first 45 minutes of Ecuador, even Yegson Mendez, who I think was the best player for, for Ecuador, he was very key in I, possession. I, out I actually, of possession.
0: sorry, the, the, the second piece I ever wrote for, well, Running Dog Media, I wrote it on the MLS analysis site two and a half years ago, it was on Yexson Mendez. He was, I think he was at Orlando at the time. He was genuinely incredible, like absolutely yeah. amazing. I was so impressed. And I think he's at LAF, LAFC now, I believe. But yeah, yeah no, you're right. Yeah. Yesterday, he was, I was really impressed by him.
2: Yeah, he's in uh, at LAFC now, and it was the kind of match that a footballer who doesn't play at Europe or at a top team, you know, gets the likes and the people start talking about him Mm -hmm. off possession. He was brilliant off the ball, dynamic, uh, coordinated jumps, uh, energetic, and. With a man like Moisés Caicedo beside, uh, you, it's unbelievable to have that kind of midfield. Gustavo Alfaro said before after the, the the match that basically they were lions in in that match and they jumped like that. And Jackson Mendes also said in the in a post match interview that after the two goals they uh, tried to slow down the rhythm have the ball come down they have two big games upcoming up so you have to think wisely in this kind of tournaments we we talk about this uh yesterday adam the kind of, the, the heat and all that you know it, it, it's
0: do you think they very... turned it down i'll actually I'll, I'll throw to lee on this one lee do you think they turned down the tempo too quickly um again uh. You know, the second half was completely dull. I just feel like as soon as they started the second half, Ecuador slowed down way down the tempo, and even towards the end of the, the first half, I was quite surprised that they didn't keep pushing for those goals. I understand that chances are it won't come down to goal difference, but in a in a group that has only three matches per team,
1: it, it might. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that there's an element of risk. To the way that ecuador managed the game we see it so often when teams go a couple of goals ahead and they think that they'll slow the tempo put your foot on the ball more less progressive passing keep the ball in your own half move the opponents side to side tire them out the theory is great the theory sound, but often we see when teams start to do that it kind of gives a little bit of an emphasis a boost to the opposition Mm -hmm. and they feel more emboldened if you like to start pushing men forward and putting pressure on the ball in the opposition half, the team that look at slow the ball the game down can then come under pressure. I think that Ecuador very quickly realised that Qatar weren't in a position to do that. They weren't in a position to put any pressure on the ball or or to find ways to press with two or three players at a time to pin Ecuador into corners, to, to look for set pieces and turnovers and possession in the Ecuador half. I think that as soon as, I mean, as Brian and you both spoke about, I think that um, Mendes especially was key within that because of his positioning, the amount of times that he dropped, not just to split the centre-halves, he was also dropping in areas between the lines. Just He read the press from Qatar very well and was able to get on the ball often. I think that he had 79 passes, but a 97% completion rate throughout the game. And I think that as soon as he was able to get the ball in those areas, they realised that Qatar didn't have I don't know. It almost felt as though they were, Qatar were a little bit unprepared in terms of the physical component of the game. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel at any point like they were in a position to challenge Ecuador physically in terms of pressing, high tempo, keeping the ball pinned in. They weren't doing any of those things. And as soon as Ecuador realised that, they just kept possession and they killed the game. I mean, yeah, the, the second half was, to my opinion as well, it was quite dull. Even from a tactical perspective, once you get past the interest in patterns that Ecuador are looking to build with, I think that you start to, to kind of lose the element of the game in that perspective. Because you're looking for Qatar to change something or do something. Their coach is very highly regarded. He came through Lumazia. He, he understands the principles of positional play and possession play. You would think that he would be looking to get more joy between the lines from from Qatar but they just look shell shocked and unable to play. Yeah.
0: I think one interesting key detail from the game that Qatar actually did was in terms of the the role of Akrim Afif which was bizarre. Bryant, I don't think I've ever seen to my knowledge unless I'm I'm, I'm badly misremembering something. A center forward dropped that deep. I mean, he was almost he was literally going between the center halves and you know the space where the, the wing backs would be to pick up the ball talk to me about his role and and i suppose why he was he was it was necessary for him to do that was there something more obvious than just he's the only player at Qatar have that can actually progress a ball
2: yeah i agree with you i never seen a center forward drop that deep to help uh, their team constantly you know he was dropping and dropping and dropping and receiving the ball and receiving the ball and he joined the, the centre backs line. He joined the six. He appears uh, through the lines. So he was basically in a mood like my team isn't progressing, isn't doing anything, and I have to do it. I have to receive the ball and I have to help my team to progress. And after I release the pass, I move on, try to receive again. He was. Trying to do everything for his team, you know, <laughs> because I mean, he's the best player. I, I actually think he has like 17 assists this season. So he, he has played very good for uh, for a club context and in the national team. I, I think it was the left side the, uh, center back Hassam who really played a disastrous game on the ball. Mm-hmm. He was throwing and throwing long balls without a sense and he wasn't finding the players to. Could receive the ball comfortably. this obviously is because the defensive balance Ecuador had in the four, three three but I really like you know the desire of a fifth to drop down and receive the ball and try to make something for for his team. but well, you, you, you spoke
0: about it actually in your piece, which I thought was really yeah. interesting, the fact that when he did drop deep, if Ecuador simply pressed him. I mean they yeah. would all the time, but then Qatar had literally no other option because the center halves were so so poor on the ball. I mean it was it was genuinely hopeless at one stage and it was it was it was quite painful to
2: watch. Yeah, and I don't know if you agree with me and Lee agree with me, but Ecuador totally rolled Qatar with simple tactical moves, you know, like uh, well, yeah, there wasn't against... anything overly innovative. Yeah, the media they course. create yeah. numerical overloads, mm-hmm. three against two in the first stages of the build-up. Caicedo pinned the two uh, centre-forwards who pressed and they stretch like Qatar when the ball was played for a centre-back. When I think uh, Hinkapie uh, played very good balls uh, between the lines to Platão, Romário Barra. And even to Michael Strada and Inter Valencia, who were very mobile uh, in possession of the ball. So I think it was simple. It was well executed. Like the attacking transitions, they win the ball back. And within one or two touches, they found a one of the strikers who dropped deep, Strada or Valencia. And, and they make uh, total damage to, to Qatar. But it was quite simple. You know, it wasn't that sophisticated moves. Or anything, one of the midfielders dropped deep, okay, set up in the 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 press behind them to uh, to leave the centre backs with the space, then to play with their full box or through the line. So, I mean, Ecuador are quite a good team, but Qatar made it very very easy for them.
0: Yeah, and I do worry. Of course, we're going to see. I think within within a half an hour of. Of, of this recording being finished we get to see the netherlands and senegal so we we'll get to see their quality and I, I would imagine seeing the netherlands before and the quality of players they have qatar are going to be in for a very rough ride in this group but we'll move on now to the second game of the tournament which was between england and iran oh i think most of us thought this would be a lot closer than it was in terms of not that england would dominate but or sorry not that that you know iran would bring the game, really, to England, but that it would be so difficult for them to break down. In 2018, Carlos Kiros' Iran conceded two goals in the group stage, which had Spain and Portugal. And, of course, Spain and Portugal, they had the best defence in that group. And today, they conceded three times that alone, just in one match. Lee, they changed the formation. Uh, I think he went more of a a 5-4-1, whereas he's used a 4-1-4-1 in recent times, Carlos Kiros'. Firstly, and also we'll speak about Gareth change of formation as well, which was a bit, a little bit of a surprise. But what went wrong for Iran? I mean,
1: I think there were a lot of similarities for me between the way that Iran and the way that Qatar approached the game. Um, we already spoke about Qatar, and Brian's absolutely right. The centre backs for Qatar could not play the ball out from defence mm-hmm. at any point; that they were lacking the technical awareness and the technical skill to play that pass properly with the correct weight and defeat. The same thing kind of happened today with Iran. I expected Iran to, if nothing else, to be more solid and compact than they were. And I think that we we can't speak about a 6-2 win in a group stage without giving credit to England and their winning team, because some of the attacking interplay was very, very good in the final third from England. Some of the rotational movements around were set up in that compact shape that we expected them to. But what really impressed me watching England was that players were dropping in and out of different holes that you wouldn't expect to be there. At one point in the first half, Kieran Trippier was playing ahead of Jude Bellingham. Um, he just came inside and left with Kai Osaka one-on-one against the opposition fullback and for Iran the fullbacks are the real weak point of their, their structure. Um, Neither fullback is impressed at all over the last, the last year or so and mm-hmm. none of my research I've been impressed at all Whereas as centre-half centre-mids strikers you can kind of see there's quality within the squad but what England did really really well is find ways to rotate around to open up passing lanes to really get in at Iran in those wide areas and then quick getting a change of the pass in the room behind. I think going forward, we'll see a different version of Iran in the remaining two group stage games. I think, I mean, obviously we've already seen that that Taremi is a threat, an mm. attack. He took his first goal extremely well. Um, first time in the area and a powerful shot past Pickford took it really well, but it was the movement and it was his desire to get to that ball, having done, having made the movement to get between the centre-backs and get beyond the line then to finish like that was very impressive. I think in the, the remaining group stage games, Iran have to pick themselves up, forget about the fact they've just played one of the strongest teams in the tournament by the looks of things, mm-hmm. and we'll see them come out and be more progressive. They will go back, I think, to the against the the remaining against the remaining group game matches that they have coming up. Um, They will be more progressive. They will try to get on the ball. They will try to hit that line, that forward line, quicker than they did today. But today they just seem so passive, other than when defending corner kicks, when there were maybe anything but passive, some of those challenges in the England players where it was like watching WWE in the first half and <laughs> Barry Maguire got suplexed at one point and, and nothing was said and nothing was done. Um, so Iran, I think, as I say, they just had the same issues. For me, in the build-up play, more than anything else, is, as Qatar did, they weren't able to get through the counter-press of England. They weren't able to penetrate the centre because Declan Rice basically had that whole area locked Dick down. Declan
0: Rice did everything. He was everywhere. He was I mean, his passing was excellent. He was breaking lines. He was he was dropping out wide, but defensively, he was everywhere. It was a wonderful performance from him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he screened that, that centre-back pain exactly as you want your 6-2 in a 4-3-3. And that's why this summer there's going to be a huge bidding war for Declan Rice. He's going to be one of the most sought-after players in world football. and Based on this performance, you can kind of see why, because a, a team with high possession who want to play positional football, who want to dominate the game, you can see exactly why Declan Rice fits into that team. And you have to start to question whether Manchester City are going to feel a little bit like they should have held on to their money and not gone quite so quickly for Calvin Phillips. Because, in my opinion, although Phillips is a very, very good player, Declan Rice would fit them better. Um, but England, again, were fairly sensational, it has to be said. I mean, I know that we're speaking on this podcast. You're an Irishman, I'm a Scotsman. And we're not known for supporting the English, but I think we have to give credit where credit's due. And to see the way that they, they took apart their opponent without Harry Kane even really getting a sniff at goal, they come away with six goals. It's very impressive. It's
0: embarrassing. I celebrated Iran's penalty, the second goal. So they, were, <laughs> they were six one down already. Um, I was, I was obviously a massive blow for Iran was the loss of of Ali Reza Baron van, the man with the longest throw in football, and obviously it was, it was, it looked like quite a, a poor injury, but they seemed desperate to keep him on the pitch, and then you saw the camera cut to Carlos Kirsch, and his head was in his hands. And you think he's brought four goalkeepers to the World Cup, by the way, more than any other team, and he had his head in his hands at the fact that he had to bring on his number two, which I just thought that's not going to bode well for the rest of the game, and it's probably not good for a player's confidence if your manager. It's, it reminded me a bit of Sunday League when you're so bad that that really bad player that everyone has in the Sunday League team, the manager has to bring you on, and it, but it's at World Cup finals. <laughs> it just was, it was quite bizarre. Um, Brian, I want to ask you about. Uh, a point Lee touched on about playing between the lines, and the way England kind of provoked that that low block from uh, from Iran to get in those spaces. I was really impressed by the progression from the central defenders of England, Harry Maguire and John Stones. Talk to me about that, about their role and why they were so so important and their overall game. Because I'll get onto it in a minute when you know when we kind of speak about them in possession. But I thought it's almost fashionable to hate or to 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 slay Harry Maguire. Uh, first performance. I do think he could have been a bit better for the fourth goal and he probably should have dropped a few yards rather than uh, try and cut the passing line out and then he, he allowed the ball to play to behind. But in possession, I thought he was he was excellent. So talk to me about the central defenders for England.
2: Yeah, I really wanted to talk about that point because uh, iron tried to uh, close down all the spaces through the central areas with uh, mid to low block a very deep block, but really England or uh, going wide with Luke Shaw and Kieran Trippier in the build-ups, they were progressing, but in the first goal, it was all thanks to the progressing ability of Harry Maguire and, you know, it's obvious that Maguire is not in his best form, but to deny his talent and technical quality when he's on his best. It's a bit odd, you know, because he has a good ball-playing ability and you can see it in the first goal of England. He really progressed well between the lines with that pass to Mount. It was a beautiful goal, uh, that first one. Really, Mount received in between the lines. He played it with Sterling, I think, who then... They opened the ball for Luke Shaw and Bellingham made a, a really good move. But I think Iron, when they exchanged their mid-block to low-block, defending their box, they were so passive. And you can see it in the first goal. Bellingham was alone in every mm-hmm. moment and, and every run. And also in the Sterling goal, it was really strange the way the centre-backs defended Sterling. He was... Alone every, at every moment he was at the box. So, yeah, I kind of like the role of Maguire and his progressing the ball through the central areas because for 30 and 35 minutes before the goal, they were like a bit stressed to not putting that ball between the half bases and through the central areas. Mount wasn't receiving that much in, in threatening areas or Bellingham. And I kind of like this... Change of formation to four-three-three with Mount as more as an aid and Bellingham as a box-to-box player. I think that's the kind of midfield England has to provide at every game. Bellingham, in that arriving player to the box, is incredible. He has the long distribution. He has the carrying ability. So if England is in, if England is playing a game where they are being bad, and Bellingham or Mount received through the lines in just one moment. It happens what we see in this match. They open up the score, and they are well, obviously scoring lots and lots of goals after this. And Iron then tried to went for the match because they had to do it. Mm-hmm. 3 0. With a 3 0 score, you have to try something and it was even worse for them because they lacked work in the defensive transition and Harry Kane, when he started to receive behind the midfielders I I mean, it it was a a show. It was a brilliant performance by by Kane in that aspect and Saka running behind, also Sterling. So yeah, I kind of like England today and it was mainly because that progressing ability from the center backs, and obviously the talent they have from midfield to to forward line is absolutely incredible. So yeah, it, yeah. I, I think it, there was individual performance that really helped the collective uh, context. England played very good, but it was thanks for what they kind of have. In, in every line. It's not the same to... cut. Uh, I mean, it's not good to compare, but it's not the same Akram Afif receiving through the lines that Jude Bellingham, you know. It's individual, yeah, yeah. Uh, high quality, and that really helps you in the collective part as well. Lee, let me ask you
0: then to wrap up the podcast. Uh, the formation change was a little bit of a surprise from England because garatoga has been so adamant on his use of that 3-4-2-1 which is a 5-2-3 or 5-4-1 out of possession do you do you think that the the only reason he changed the the structure for this game was because it was against Iran and he knew exactly how they were going to play do you think they'll play the same against Wales and USA or well, even if they do do you see them sticking with the the way they play today against you're in the knockout phases when they're going
1: to play you know your Frances your Germany's, your Netherlands etc I think that based on what we've just seen, it's going to be very, very difficult for Southgate to revert back. Mm. I think the 4-3-3, and Brian just touched upon the fact that it released Jude Bellingham, who in the first half of this game, that was as good a midfield performance as I've seen for quite a long time. I think for a 19-year-old to make his mark on a World Cup, in which he's making his debut, and play like that in the first half is really notable. I think that when you play with a double pivot in the midfield and Bellingham is one of those two the double pivot, even with Declan Rice, I think his role is kind of negated slightly. I mean, you could play him more offensively from the double pivot, but it's not the same as knowing you've got a six behind you and you've got another eight on the other side who's attracting attracting attention, if you like, from the opposition. It's uh, the way that I tend to think of these things and the way that these, these structures and formations interact It's a concept that is used quite a lot in basketball called player gravity in which that if a player has possession of the ball, the danger that player has in possession. So, for example, if Lionel Messi has possession of the ball, he attracts more opposition players towards him than if I had possession of the ball because they're not going to expect me to skip past three of them and put the ball in the top corner. But it was the same thing when you play with two eights. When you play with 2 weights a 4 three, three structure, it affects the opposition more notably, rather than when you're releasing one midfielder to move forward. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you've got more space, more time, more pockets between the lines, which is really where I think England had the most success in this game. And we already touched on the fact Trippi had dropped in there at one point. Sterling was coming in, Harry Kane was dropping off. Saka tended to stay wide, but when he got the ball, he was looking to interplay with the players in those pockets. I think 4-3-3 suits England and I think that the offensive input that they got from their wingers today as well, when you think about the fact that two goals for Saka, one goal from Sterling, one goal from Jack Grealish, although what Callum Wilson is a number nine doing, not shooting there, I've got no idea. A number nine, that might be his only chance to ever score a World (laughs) Cup when he pulled it back five yards to a teammate. I suppose you could say he would be a very good teammate. and. Yes, Kulis was in a better position, but the point stands that the wide players for England were really influential today. I think it becomes difficult to take them and turn them into wing-backs. I think you take away some of what you've got. I mean, you could argue that you could play Sterling and Saka as the two behind Kane in that formation that you touched upon at the start of this segment, and, and arguably, yeah, sure, they might get into the same areas, but then you'll lose something, I think, because those areas behind the striker can be occupied by the two eights. And England are going to dominate possession over the next couple of games as well. We know they will. I expected England to dominate possession against Iran. What I didn't expect was them to find ways to break them down quite so easily.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I also think that a reversion to the 3-4-2-1... Again, formations don't really... It's the way you play, not the formation that that dictates how you play. But I do think that automatically, because of probably Catanatio in the, in the 50s and 60s, that. Factory is just having negative connotation. And I think that straight away, if, if Selkick does revert to that system, it will have such a negative, uh, people will have such negative opinions of it because they will feel it's going back to, almost a 5-4-1 low block and trying to yeah. soak up pressure. So I agree. Lee, Brian, thank you so much for joining me for to, to review these two games. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the games today between Senegal and the Netherlands and, of course, USA and Wales. We'll be back tomorrow for the listeners to review those two games as well as Argentina and Saudi Arabia and Denmark and Tunisia. So please, please check in tomorrow. Thank you all for joining. I hope you enjoyed listening and goodbye for now.